right, Luke chapter 2. We'll be in verse 41. Surprise! Verse 41 is where we'll start. And the title on this is Jesus dash Home Alone for the Holidays. Okay. <laughs> chapter 2, verse 41. Well, the his there is Jesus. So Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. And so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening uh, to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. So, not quite the Christmas story you were probably expecting. Um, but chapter two does, in fact, start with the Christmas account. And it's amazing to consider. I encourage you to find some time to, to read through it or listen to maybe Linus from Charlie Brown uh, quote it. I think he's pretty good. He's pretty accurate on it. Quite the preacher he is. Um, but we picture it, right? And it's not everything we think on the Christmas cards for sure, right? Uh, maybe not quite as sterile as that, right? Uh, there are animals, but they're doing animal-like things, you know? There's animal-like smells in the area. The manger was not a clean cradle by any means. Um, it was a feeding trough, not a wonderful place to give birth there probably wasn't a halo around Jesus' head. He was a baby. Now, they knew that he was a special baby, born of the Holy Spirit to the Virgin Mary. But he was a baby, born in a stable, not such a clean place. And then all at once, these shepherds, these outdoorsmen, bust through the door, if there was a door, right? And they've been out in the field watching their sheep. They're not clean. They don't smell good either. And they come in with these crazed looks on their faces saying, we saw angels. Angels met us out there. And they said, this baby has been born king of the Jews. Where is he? We've come to see him. Now that, of course, was a shocker, right? <laughs> As shepherds come storming in and... It's amazing. And we read there in chapter 2 that Mary treasured these things in her heart. Well, then they were gone, and time goes on. A few years later, Matthew tells us in his book, chapter 2, that 
Men from the east came to the house where the child was, bearing gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Uh, They also had heard of this baby, and they come in and they worship him, and they give him these gifts. And it's amazing. And again, Mary treasures it in her hearts. And then in verse 41 here of chapter 2, we realize time has gone on. Twelve years since the baby was born. He's a preteen now, right? Before preteens existed. And Jesus is there with his family. His brothers and sisters are with him. And they're in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover feast there in the springtime. And they enjoy this feast, no doubt. Uh, A feast rich in meaning as, as God delivers his people from bondage in Egypt. He does it by saving his people with the blood of a lamb. The blood of a lamb put at the top and on the sides of the doorposts of their house and death passes over and they're free. In so many ways, they're free. And there's Jesus and his family observing this feast. Did he know how he would fulfill that feast? I guess. I I don't really know what was going through his 12-year-old mind. Uh, But he was God, right? He had always been God. He was God in the flesh. Not really sure what was going through his mind. But here we see this interesting (laughs) Uh, picture, one of the only pictures we have from Jesus' childhood, that there, as him and his family are in Jerusalem, the family is ready to go home, and they take off. And Jesus is left home alone, right? He's left behind there in the city of Jerusalem. Now, we can shame Mary and Joseph. How in the world did you leave your 12-year-old son in Jerusalem? You took off a day and didn't even realize he was gone. How could that happen, right? Well, it could have because they traveled as a family, extended family. Josephus, the historian, tells us that even sometimes whole cities and villages traveled together. It was safe to travel together. And so as they went back, verse 44, something snaps in Mary and she thinks, you know, I haven't seen Jesus in a good long time. Where is that boy? And verse 44, we say, supposing him to bend with the company. She just assumed he must be with family. He must be with his cousins. He must be with his brothers and sisters. He's somewhere, she supposed. Uh, because it's always been that way. That's what that word means is. She supposed it was that way because it had always been that way. And all at once, she starts to realize and she starts to panic. And we read that she was panicking in verse 48, that they told him, where have you been? Why have you done this to us? We have sought you anxiously. And the idea behind that is to be in intense torment in body and mind. And we get it, right? She was a parent to some degree, like we've been parents, and you lose your kid. I remember the first, first time we misplaced our child. Um, <laughs> we were in a department store 
Jeremiah. Uh, he uh, is is nowhere to be seen, you know, and it starts to build in your mind. Where? where wait, wait. Where? Where is he? Where is that kid? And you start walking around, and we start to hear this giggling inside the clothes rack. Uh, he was behind the clothes on the clothes rack. And yeah, you find him and it's a little bit of happiness. It's a little bit of, what are you doing? You just, ah, you know. There's panic and all sorts of things. Well, Mary realizes that she hasn't seen Jesus in a while. And it's a day that they've been gone, right? So we read here that it was three days before they found him. A day out in travel, a day back in travel, and then wandering around a large city like Jerusalem to try to find this 12-year-old boy. Three days they were searching until finally they found him. Now, they find him in verse 48, and they're amazed. They find Jesus sitting with the teachers of the law, discussing the deeper things of the law, right? He's asking questions, And he's answering questions. He's having a real discussion with these guys. And when his parents find him, they say, son, we were worried sick. What have you done to us? Why have you done this to us? And I get it. Right now, Luke in verse 51 is quick to add that he was subject to them. Jesus wasn't a bad boy. Right. He wasn't like. Jesus, take the trash out. My father hasn't told me to take the trash out. (laughs) He, He wasn't like that. He obeyed, he honored, he respected his parents. Jesus was a good boy. Now, the application of of this, I think, for them is to one degree, time changes our heart. Doesn't it kind of? I mean, he's an amazing child. There was an amazing message that the angels gave. But then time goes by. Twelve years goes by. And twelve years of time leads to a certain routine of life. The passage of time, think about this. The passage of time always leads to a certain normalcy in our life. Eh, he's Jesus. He's a 12-year-old boy. Where is he? You know, normalcy. Um, and, And there, they suppose that he was with everybody, just like he had always been. Um, excitement kind of has that way of dying off over time, doesn't it? Time and just normalcy kind of takes the excitement down. It's true in all sorts of areas of life and relationships. It's true in marriage, right? When you first get married, there's that certain giggle about everything. You know what I mean? That certain specialness of eating dinner together at your table, you know? And then it becomes kind of routine, that certain expectation of normalcy with family, right? Remember that first Christmas with 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 your children, you know, I, I remember, you know, we freak out because we wanted kids so badly. And here he is, you know, the chosen one. Here he is. And it was like, you know, 
we, we, we bought all the stuff and, you know, I got up in true dad fashion in the sweatpants and hair up, you know, but I was so excited, like, open it, open it, open it. You got to open it. Oh, this is amazing. He's going to love it, you know, and then time goes on and tradition takes over and I still like Christmas, but, you know, the bedhead is sincere, you know, <laughs> the staying out of pictures, I kind of mean it. And, and, I, and, and, and time just kind of takes things to normalcy and the magic kind of, eh, kind of dwindles a little bit. And, and so here it was for Mary. He's got to be with us. He's been with us all these years. And, and, and we get a little numb to it. And of course that happens not just in our relationships with others, but that happens in our relationship with God, for sure. That is kind of the, the main point of this. Our relationship with God, the magic of Christmas, that God loved us so much that he became flesh and lived among us. We say it so much that it becomes kind of routine. We lose the excitement of it all. Now, this is not an encouragement this Christmas to get into the Christmas spirit, you know? And if you don't, Mr. Scrooge, you'll be visited by Ghost 3, <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, like, get into that holiday spirit. But yet, take time to really think about it. That's something that we have to consciously do, snap out of it, and, and take time to think about it. Um, there's kind of this assumption in our minds that everything is just fine in our relationship with God, in our focus on the Lord. Turn to Revelation chapter 2, if you could. Revelation chapter 2. Verse 1. Such an easy book to find, and here we go. <laughs> Chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus writes a letter to the church in Ephesus, to the ch angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and you cannot bear with those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience. You have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So here, Jesus writes a letter to a church in Ephesus. Now, in Acts chapter 19 and 20, we've been looking at the church in Ephesus, a real church. And good things were happening, right? In the book of Acts, they, they spread the good news. And even the idol makers are in danger of going bankrupt. Good things are happening. And Jesus tells them here, yeah, a lot of good things. Verse 2, I know your works. I know your labor. I'm not exactly sure the difference between works and labor. But they were so good at doing works and labor that he says it twice. You know what I mean? I know all these wonderful things that you do. I know your patience, he says, your endurance, right? The people in Ephesus had been through a lot. They had been attacked 
by the idol makers. They, they had been enduring difficulty for a long time. And Jesus says, you did it. You stand up for truth and justice. People come around saying that they're disciples and you test them. You stand up for what's right. Good job. You've done a lot, a lot of work, a lot of patience, a lot of good things. But then verse four, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. So nevertheless, uh, I have this against you. You've left your first love. You do a lot of good stuff. You do a lot of nice things. You stand up for truth, but you have no heart. You've left your first love. You've left Jesus behind, right? And in this, we're kind of shocked, right? Because Jesus is saying doing nice things isn't what it's all about. Standing up for truth and justice is good, but... It's not the most important thing. Enduring through difficulties. Do it. But it's not enough if we've lost our heart and we've lost Jesus in our life. Um, We see that in any relationship, though, right? Think about it for a second. We see that even in our, our, our human relationships, that sometimes doing good things for other people isn't really a heart, right? We know this. Well, I wash the dishes. What else do you want? <laughs> you know what I mean? But yet our heart maybe is somewhere else. Um, in our family, well, I took out the trash. I did my homework. What else do you want? I want a love relationship, right? And, and sometimes even doing the right things can produce bitterness in our life. Isn't that kind of true, right? Sometimes I'll do all the right things and with my heart somewhere else, it makes me even more bitter. How did you not appreciate that? How did you not thank me for that, you know? And yet it's one thing in our human relationships, but in our heart for God, if we lose our heart for God, if Jesus is taken out of the equation, there's nothing. We've lost it all. David says this in Psalm 51, verse 16. He says this, For you, God, do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Of these, O God, you will not despise. So David here in Psalm 51 says, God, what do you want? Do you want sacrifice? If you wanted sacrifice, I'd give it to you. But you want my heart to be right with you more than anything else. You want my heart to be turned towards you. Isaiah would say that without a heart for God, our righteousness is like filthy, stinky, nasty rags. We can talk about that, but... Just say, God isn't happy with it. It's not pleasing to him. God wants our heart. 1 Samuel 16, God tells the prophet Samuel, I don't see like man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. 
I look at the heart. Man, what God absolutely wants is our heart. Everything inside of us, our heart. He wants our body, sure. Our mind, yeah, but he wants our heart. And the reason why I've gone here today is because I'm probably just like you. Christmas is upon us. Ah, Christmas. The bells are ringing. The music is playing. And you know what? I got stuff to do. (laughs) I got presents to buy. Did you get all the presents? Did we get everything we needed to get? Did we make the cookies? We made the cookies? Okay. You know? And, (laughs) And you know what? It's real easy just to get swept up in all the things that make our American Christmas what it is. It's fine. It's nice. Merry Christmas. But it's real easy to forget our heart for Jesus. What an amazing thing that God, the God who created everything, would become this humble baby. And not just to be a baby, right? (laughs) But, But to live, show us what God is like. We see that all the way through the Gospels, that Jesus demonstrates the Father. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. He also shows us what our heart is like. As you see Jesus mingling with other people, you see their confusion. You see so many times like his disciples, they don't get it. You see the religious leaders who oppose what God wants in their life. But ultimately, Jesus came to die for us to pay the price for our sin, to show us that God is love, love that we don't deserve. And it's so easy to just kind of, I know it's cliche to say, leave Jesus out of it, to forget him out of tradition, and because we expect him to always be there. But to really take time and think about it, think about what he's done for us. If you're still in Revelation, though, Look really quickly. We have a prescription in verse 5. What do you do? Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. So Jesus tells us what we need to do with our hard hearts. Remember. Just sit down and remember what God has done for you. Now, maybe it's later on today over lunch. (laughs) Remember what God has done. Maybe it's tonight or this morning, next tomorrow morning at three in the morning when you wake up. Remember, remember who God is, how he's loved you, what he's done for you, how he's been faithful through your life. And then repent, repent. Maybe there's some hard-hearted attitudes that we have, some, some things that we need to go, look, God, you've been telling me, and I know it's wrong. I'm distracted. God, I don't want to be that way. And you repent, right? You stop going this way, and you decide, I'm going to go this way. God, I want to have a right heart in this. God, change my heart. Take my bitterness. Take... Take my distractions. Help me to see you. Maybe it's three in the morning tomorrow morning. And and there you are in your heart. You're repenting. It says do the first works. That's not about more works. It's about just taking it back to simplicity. Just spend some time focusing your attention on God. 
Um, that's not really something that you do something other than turn your mind towards him. Just constantly, consciously turn your mind towards him. And again, just like Mary and Joseph, they turned around, made the journey back, and they found Jesus there about his father's business. And certainly they were shocked and they were amazed at who Jesus was once again. So God, uh, whatever needs to happen in our heart, God, we certainly don't want to go through Christmas without a heart for you. That's what all of us do by, by nature. That's what the world does. It's about so many things. But it's not about you. God, we don't want to live that way. I just ask for my friends and for myself that this Christmas, you would turn our hearts back to you, that we would just simply see what you've done for us every day. If we need to repent from an attitude or a distraction, God, help us to have the grace to just lay those things down. God, you've loved us so much. You love us just the way we are. You're so good to us. God, bring joy to this season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.